No, it really is great to be here. Um, and today, you could see the teacher in me. Everybody got a handout, as well as there'll be a couple slides behind us, um, because we are going to do a little discussion, just a little, in the middle of uh, some of the things that I'll be talking about. But you could see from the, the top of that that um, our subject today is giving generously and receiving graciously. Actually, a little typo on my part. I exchanged gracefully for graciously, but same thing, really. Um, so let me start by asking a question. Have you ever received a sizable or generous gift, maybe just in the nick of time, right when you needed it? Yes. <laughs> I hope we all have. I think we probably all have. And so you can identify with Paul. We're going to pick up with him in the book of Philippians, which, as you know, we've been studying here for the last few months. And he's in that situation, right? He has been uh, gifted financially by the Philippians, and he is very grateful. Um, so that's where we're going to pick up and our big idea, which I put on the sheet and I'm going to give to you right up front, is that God calls us to look to him as we give generously and receive graciously. So that's what we're going to kind of be concentrating on in the next few minutes. Um, as a reminder, with this letter, Paul is in prison. He's been going through some hard stuff. He's been struggling. I loved that Matt picked those verses because it's kind of where, where Paul was, as we know. And yet throughout this letter of joy, he's been telling us that he is honestly content in his situation. And um, he calls us to be joyful in our tough situations. But also, uh, he's so grateful to the Philippians. So um, let's, I will read here and then we'll go from there, starting in verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, or in other words, come alongside me to help and support me even long distance. And you Philippians yourselves know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving which is a two-way transaction. We're going to get into that a little later, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what might be credited to your account. In other words, the spiritual reward the Philippians will receive from giving or what this gift will do for you. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, um, something over and above the Old Testament tithe, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's kind of a, a big chunk that we were given to look at, but some really specific things that I want to connect today. 
As the Philippians shared in Paul's troubles, we are to do the same within our community to lean in and also as we feel God's prompting to reach out to um, people beyond the church. Now, in these verses, we're talking about financial support primarily, and God definitely cares about that. He cares about how tight-fisted we are with our money, but he also cares about us sharing our other resources that we have, our time, talent, emotional support, prayer support. And often, this kind of support is individual to each of us. He plans it that way. So my husband Bill's superpower is, uh, one of his superpowers is diagnosing and fixing cars. And he will drop everything to answer a call and respond to someone that's stuck on the side of the road with a car issue. Now, parentheses, usually that's his own kids and his own old cars. But um, most of us don't have that ability, but he does. But there's a lot of other abilities that we have that others don't. We have amazing meal makers. Uh, in this church who can create delicious meals at the drop of a hat when uh, a family is in need. With that, we have handy men and women. We have prayer warriors. We have emotional support people. And all of those things are important to God. All of those are gifts along with the financial gifts that we're primarily talking about here. As we know, and we could see in the scripture, it's the thought behind the gift that's important too, right? Paul was so grateful that it showed the devotion that the Philippians had for him. And we know that to be true. When someone does something for us or gives us a gift, we really appreciate what's behind it as well, which is so important. So what I want to look at now and kind of focus in on is that what we're talking about here is not just a horizontal transaction, the giver, the receiver, or vice versa. Last week, John talked about the two-way patron-client transactional business relationship that the Philippians would have definitely understood. And uh, it, it was universally understood at the time, and uh, do we have it up there? Oh, my wonderful drawing. I was trying to, f I'm not good at all the tech stuff, so there you go. I just took a picture of a, something I drew Thanksgiving morning. Anyway, um, so I've changed the words patron and client to giver and recipient. And what I'm trying to show here is that that vertical connection with God or the Holy Spirit is so key. The recipient, hopefully, is in a relationship with God where he or she is calling out to God and saying, help, you know, uh, I'm in need. And the giver, being open and attentive, is always in that relationship, too, asking God where uh, he or she should jump in to help. And... Um, John mentioned, you know, being the athletic stance, being on your toes. He did a really good job of, I'm, no, I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> um, 
being on your toes, ready to move at any moment. And that's the position as we seek the Holy Spirit when something comes along that we are prompted by God to, uh, to be a part of. Um, so, oh, I just, I had a note here that I just added in the parking lot. So in that ready position, um, we're ready when we find out that, you know, this, the school roof in Nairobi is falling in and, and money is needed immediately. If we are in that ready position in that relationship, we may discern that that's something we should be a part of. Or there's a desperate need for Bibles, for soldiers, or a need within our own church that we can meet. And you know what? As a church, I think we're really good at that, but we need to um, look at it even a little further. So there's so many examples in the Bible and in our church of just this. And I wanted to talk about one a few of us in the room will remember, an exciting piece of uh, church history for Crossroads. If you weren't around then, you've probably heard about it. But 21 years ago, Crossroads needed to raise a sum of $165,000, which was really even more then, because we felt called by God to build out the gymnasium at the YWCA in Trumbull so we could building share with them. And that was a big chunk of money for not a lot of giving units of people. And the way it worked was after the church leaders discerned that this is what we were supposed to do, our whole community came together and prayed to God, the recipient praying to God and saying, Lord, we don't know how we're going to get this big sum of money, but you do. And so we're faithfully praying for you to guide us. And then we were asked as individuals to go off, I think for two or three weeks, and pray about what our part should be. And there's some amazing stories of couples that both came up with the same number that they were supposed to give and all sorts of amazing stories around that. But when the pledges came forth and everybody wrote down what they were going to give, within pennies, it was the number we needed, 165000 And if anyone's in development, you know often pledges don't necessarily equal monies. Well, in our case, more money than pledged came in. We were able to raise something like 175000 which meant that we could hire a really important person in our church, Tom Kay, who started on staff a few months after all of that came in. It was something the leadership had wanted to do, and because of God's goodness and answering um, and working in this triangle, that's exactly what happened. Um, so I don't know if you've heard that story before, but it's, it's, definitely, um, it's, it's definitely one that shows God's hand in our church. Um, so now's your chance to uh, get to turn me off for a second. I want to encourage you to to turn to a couple people, and instead of, sometimes we're in bigger groups, but I'm only going to give you three minutes. So maybe if you find groups of three or even two, if you want to chat with about these two questions um, in the next three minutes, just to 
talk a little bit about them. Uh, they're on your sheet. The first two, share a time when you were the recipient of a generous or much-needed gift. Did you experience a vertical looking up connection as well as a horizontal relationship? And then secondly, do you find it hard to receive gifts from others? And if so, what makes it difficult? Okay, I know we'd love to, we could keep on keep on talking, but I want to move us along. Um, so a second truth about giving is that an amazing thing happens when we share in others' troubles. The giver benefits just as much as the receiver. And Paul uses the term credited to your account. Of course, he is grateful for the much-needed financial support, but even more grateful that the Philippians will receive their own reward or benefit because they've helped him in his time of need. Now, he uses this financial transaction term to make it clear to them that they will receive something too, though it will be a spiritual reward from God. Many secular studies have been done in this area over and over. And without fail, they confirm what God has been saying for thousands of years. His word tells us of the benefits that we get when we are generous. And now science is catching up with that. Surprise, surprise. I looked at so many amazing studies in the last couple of weeks. I'd love to have the time to share them with you, but um, instead, I'm just going to give a, a, a quick synopsis for um, the way that, what, how God works when people give generously instead of keeping things to themselves. So um, here we go. When we give generously, uh, or when people give generously, they are much happier in better health mentally, physically, and emotionally, live longer, feel more of a connection to community, perceive others more positively, and are more grateful for their lives. Physiologically, when we act generously, oxytocin is released in our brain, which produces feelings of warmth, euphoria, and connection to others, and guess what, decreases stress and helps to combat a myriad of mental health issues. From a spiritual perspective, we are also the beneficiaries of that vertical connection with God. When we are obedient to his voice and see the result, we cannot help but feel more connected to God as well. So that list is, is really <laughs> quite quite long. Again, I'm going to have you turn in that same group and answer uh, the next two, uh, yeah, just one question. Question three, uh, share a time when you felt called to give generously of your resources, money, time, talent, which if any of the benefits that I think are listed on your sheet, did you experience? So uh, share for a few minutes about that. Okay, so we're going to center back. I think we can, 
I'm guessing we can all agree that we've experienced a lot of those things in a lot of areas of, of giving. Um, <coughs> so here might be one of the hardest things to hear, and that is that we need to allow the system to work both ways. So most of us would agree, I think, that it's harder to receive from others than to give. I see a lot of nodding heads. I know this is an area of struggle for me personally. Um, where we are, I should say I am, but I'm gonna say we are, we're a prideful and independent people in general. And our distorted thinking tells us that we won't appear as self-sufficient or as well-liked if we ask for help or um, accept others' generosity. But here's the thing, when we do that, we were just talking about this in our little group, when we do that, we are depriving others of all those good things that we just listed. When we don't share our needs with people and, or, and when we are not vulnerable, we're depriving others of that. We're also depriving ourselves of a deeper relationship with others because often that's a byproduct, as was on the list. When that relationship, that triangle relationship is happening, we grow deeper in relationships. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind, although it's really, really hard. Um, when someone asks if they can help and you say, no, 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 accept it. I, you know, I was just thinking, I'm just throwing this in, that last night I had told all my kids, please don't come. It's not a big deal. Don't come. And Jamie and Allie were like, we're going to come. And I, and I thought about this message, and I said, okay, I'm going to accept that nice gift of them not to be, you know, at their own church this morning. So anyway, um, so the last thing is that we can't forget that this giving-receiving transa transaction is pleasing to God. Going back to Paul's letter, we see this line, the Philippians' gift to Paul, gifts to Paul are a fragrant offering or aroma, an acceptable, pleasing, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So what does this mean exactly? In Leviticus, in the Old Testament, the term fragrant aroma meant an offering that pleased God that was sacrificial in that it went beyond what was required. In the Old Testament, the mandated tithe that the Jews were to give to the church ministry and back to God, this was above and beyond that. It was a thank offering. So as we, I don't know about you, but when I walk into a house with a beautiful cinnamon uh, apple candle or the smell of Thanksgiving dinner, it just warms me. I just, I just love it. My family knows I'm always lighting that candle. Um, and this sounds a little strange, but in God put it into scripture. So he feels a similar sense of warmth when he sees people giving and receiving in relationships. And Paul appreciates this gift from the Philippians because he sees it as more of an offering to God than to himself. It signifies their faith in his provision and his promises. And though the concept of our lowly selves 
being able to give a gift to God seems really strange. Scripture does tell us that when we're faithfully generous to others, God is pleased. He's smiling. And he promises to use it, sometimes in very miraculous ways, but always to point people to Jesus, which is our bottom line. So one of my favorite stories, true account stories of God working an amazing miracle, I was reminded of because, like Matt, what were you cleaning out, Matt? I forget. You said you were, like, cleaning out something earlier. Oh. <laughs> we won't go there. But no. um, Yeah, so I was cleaning out my linen closet, and I found this. And Matt said, what the heck is that? And I brought it as a Exhibit A for those of you that might not know what it is and know Scruff, John, it's not a whoopee cushion. Um, <laughs> I know that you are just too young. Um, so that's why I brought it for anyone younger than 55. Um, so this is actually a hot water bottle. And I'm going to share a true account written by, I'll put my exhibit over here for now. Um, <clears throat> written by a missionary, an amazing woman named, let me get it right, um, Helen Rosevere. She was a missionary to Zaire. She was a missionary doctor back in the 50s, which is kind of crazy. Um, her biography is really amazing. But this excerpt I'm going to read to you is about a specific miracle. And if we could picture that triangle that we had up before where um, the triangle was working. The receiver was asking, the giver was ready to answer. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. I'll, I will warn you, I read it to uh, one of my other sons and his wife a couple days ago. And <laughs> when I got to the end, I started to cry. So, you know, I'm going to try not to do that. Anyway, here goes. One night, in Central Africa. I had worked hard to help a mother in the labor ward, but in spite of all that we could do, she died, leaving us with a tiny premature baby and a distraught two-year-old daughter. We had no incubator. We had no electricity to run an incubator, no special feeding facilities. The one hot water bottle we had had burst, and there were certainly no drug stores around the corner. Although we lived on the equator, nights were chilly with treacherous drafts. This little one was in dire need. We counted it a miracle that the baby survived the first night, but we had little hope for beyond that. The following noon, as I did most days, I went to have prayers with many of the orphanage children who chose to gather with me. I told them about the tiny baby. I explained our problem about keeping the baby warm enough, mentioning the hot water bottle. The baby could so easily die if it got chilled. I also told them, told them about the two-year-old sister crying because her mother had died. During the prayer time, one 10-year-old girl, Ruth, prayed with the usual blunt consciousness of our African children. Please, God, she prayed, send us a water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow. God, the baby will be dead, so please send it this afternoon. 
While I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer, she added by way of corollary, and while you're at it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know you really love her? As often with children's prayers, I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say amen? I just did not believe that God could do this. Oh, yes, I know that he can do everything. The Bible says so. But there are limits, aren't there? The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending a parcel from the homeland. I had been in Africa for almost four years at that time, and I had never, ever received a parcel from home. Anyway, if anyone did send a parcel, who would put in a hot water bottle? I lived on the equator. Halfway through the afternoon, while I was teaching in the nurses' school, a message was sent there that a large cardboard box was waiting at my front door. I rushed home and gathered the orphans. Some 30 or 40 pairs of eyes were focused on me as I opened the parcel. From the top, I lifted out knitted jerseys, snacks, and bandages for the leprosy patients, and the children began to look bored. But as I put my hand in again, I felt, could it really be? I gasped, I gasped it, no, I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes, a brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. Ruth was in the front row of the children. She rushed forward crying out, if God has sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. Rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out the small, beautifully dressed doll. Her eyes shone. She had never doubted. That parcel had been on the way for five whole months, packed up. Am I going to cry again? No. <laughs> but my former Sunday school class, whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle, even to the equator. One of the girls had put a doll in for an African child five months earlier. <laughs> in answer to the believing prayer of a 10-year-old to bring it and to bring it that very afternoon. So <laughs> you can tell I've always loved this story. And I mean, God's amazing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, God's a miracle worker, but he works through us, right? The, the need was, was voiced, and it was answered. And I know there might be some doubters that say, is this really a true account? And yes, it is. It's been verified many times over, and it's in the biography of um, this missionary doctor, which is really... Um, Quite amazing. God wants to give good gifts to those who love him. And as we allow ourselves to be in this giving-receiving relationship, he promises, as the scripture we read says, he promises to meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Finally, in verse 20 of that scripture section, we come to the primary purpose of giving and receiving. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. 
and we point people to Jesus through this. That's the bottom line. When we generously give and humbly, gracefully receive, we give glory and praises to God. Can you imagine the glory that was given to God as word spread of the hot water bottle miracle? As the story was told and retold and continues to touch lives today? Yes, a baby's life was saved, but it was so much more than this. So as we wrap up, I want you to take a minute. This time, just between you and God, you don't need to turn to your neighbor again. Um, and think about the last questions. Is there a specific need, person, or ministry that God is putting on your heart right now? Or maybe it's the reverse. Do you have a specific need that you should bring to God and share with people? maybe leaders in the church or anyone in the church who can help. So think about that. I'm going to give you just a, a minute or two, and then I will close up in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to be both generous givers and gracious or humble recipients. Help us to keep you in the center of these transactional connections, always looking to you for help, direction, and guidance within our community and as we reach out beyond ourselves. Remind us this week and all the way through the Christmas season to look to you first and foremost to deepen our relationships through you and because of you. Amen.